welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Chris. Good day to you. This is episode 103, entitled, Our Relationship to the Sun. In the budding Weather of the Mind school, there are four subjects, and the fourth subject is nature and culture. And this is certainly a nature and culture podcast, because we're looking at nature. We're looking at we're looking at our relationship to the sun. So we're looking at that relationship on a physical level, the nature, but also we're trying to think about the cultural levels of that as well. Because the natural levels, that relationship can't really be changed, but the cultural levels dictate some of that relationship. And by cultural levels, what do I mean? Well, the, the cultural ideas we have about how to protect yourself from the sun, that's a big part of the relationship. Inventions we have, like sunscreen, that's part of the cultural relationship. Our deities, or lack of deities, denature deities, sun deities, if we don't have these, how does this part of the cultural conversation? So we're trying to look at certain subjects, and perhaps everything, as understanding the nature and understanding the culture. So this, this episode, our relationship, our relationship to the sun is really in that wheelhouse. So we're talking about, talking about the sun, like <laughs> humans have an unbelievable ability to take things for granted. Uh, the sun, the sun's been there, even if it's occluded by the clouds, the sun's been there for us every day of our lives. The sun, the air, the water, these are the fundamental physical. These are the nature that, that, that keeps us sustained every day. So I was a little bit surprised at how little I knew in detail about this relationship between myself and the sun, ourselves and the sun, the relation between my skin and the sun. So that's what I'm going to try to accomplish during this episode, trying to look into the science and look into the culture of this relationship and hopefully give us, as, give us some good food for thought. And um, so let me just tell you how it started. This episode started a long time ago. I have spent way too many weeks and have dozens of papers of research in front of me, which is a little bit disconcerting for a 20 to 30 minute show. But it just, it's been this sprawling exploration. But it began with hearing about the shadow rule. And I forget where I heard it on some program. The shadow rule means that if you're going outside into the sun, look at, try to find a tree or a post or a stop sign, something that is tall and you can see in the sunshine. And then look at the shadow on the ground. Because the relationship between the height of the stop sign and the length of the shadow is going to tell you how steep that sun's angle is. And this shadow rule is what we should teach three and four-year-olds. This, this is the most basic way of understanding our relationship with the sun. Looking at, no matter where we are in the world, looking at that shadow. If that shadow is shorter than the length, Right? So if you have a stop sign that's 8 feet and the shadow is only 2 feet long, then you know that sun is very steep in the sky. If that shadow is, is if, if the stop sign is 8 feet and the shadow by 2 or 3 in the afternoon is getting to be 8 feet, well once it crosses, once the shadow is longer 
than the stop sign. The sun is now below 45 degrees in the sky. So if you need a little demarcation of the sun is dangerous, the sun is less dangerous, the shadow rule, the shadow rule. But again, this is not taught to us. We hear about, oh, 10 to 2 o'clock, don't go in the sun, which is actually, with the way we change the times, the peak of the sun right now in the United States is at 1 p.m., not noon. So we should be thinking 10 to 4. So you could, you could use the shadow rule and try to build that into your repertoire. Or you could use the 10 to 4 rule, which is... You know, it's still based off of nature, but it's using this cultural mechanism of time to be the intermediary. The shadow rule is great because we're looking at we're looking at the sun affecting something, and then we're thinking, how's that sun gonna affect me? A lot of people just, oh, the sun's out, it's 7 p.m., it's noon, they treat it the same. Oh, throw on some suntan lotion. But it's very, very different. Okay, let's do a little experiment. You can do this with your kids and you basically, in a dark room, take a flashlight or, you know, a normal old, you know, camping flashlight or the flashlight in your phone. And, and in a dark room, shine it on the ground. And, and see exactly how big that area of light is on the ground. Now, turn it 45 degrees and aim it at that angle and now see how big that that area of light is on the ground this is a simple way to show us that the same amount of energy that's concentrated when something is overhead becomes greatly diminished as we start to add angle to it they say that if the sun shining right above is 1x the sun shining at 45 degrees is 1.4x. So it really dilutes it. It really dilutes the sun's intensity. Again, I don't want to get lost too much in the weeds here. I just want to stimulate some brainstorms. So let the flashlight be the sun and see what it's like. See what it's like at different angles. How much that energy spreads out and essentially dilutes. And think of that shadow rule. So that, that's where this conversation began for me, just trying to figure out, just trying to start thinking about my relationship to the sun. I mean, obviously we think about the angle of the sun, we think about how intense it is, we think, oh, it's close to noon. But the shadow rule is cool because once you start looking at the shadows, well, you just start being curious about the angle of the sun, even in the middle of the winter when you're not worried about your sunburn. So once we begin a relationship and start thinking more specifically about what this other, what this other being, this other object in the galaxy is doing and how is that affecting us, we begin just, yeah, that's what a relationship is. You start to pay attention to the more of the details and then get more and more curious and that's what happened with this podcast is I kept on getting more and more curious like the, one of the first things I did was once I started looking at the sun it's like I don't even I'm not even sure exactly how big the sun is I'm not exactly sure how far away the sun is so that's the that's the next thing I did so here we go here's some stats for you so what's interesting is when you think about how far away the moon and the sun are, is that they appear to be a similar size. And this is a really good clue for remembering what I'm gonna tell you next. So we can't really look at the sun, but if we could, it, it looks similar size to the moon. 
But that is because the sun is about 400 times larger in diameter. So when we look at it across, it's 400 times larger than the moon. But it's coincidentally about 400 times further away. We can conceptualize the Earth to the moon is like an old Honda. You know, you got your Honda Accord, you inherit it maybe from your granny. It's It's been around since 1989. You look at the mileage, holy cow, this has gone 238,000 miles, 238,900 miles. I could have driven from here to the moon, okay? So that's, when you're thinking of the distance of the moon, try to remember that old Honda Accord, where there's some old, oops, try to remember some old great family car. And over those 20 years, we drove at 10,000 miles a year, and eventually we got to the moon, okay? Like an old car, 238,900 miles. So that's comprehensible. The distance to the sun, we said about 400 times how far it is from the Earth to the moon. Well, that equals, that ends up being 94.4 million miles. 400 times 238,000 does not seem like it should equal that much. But if you 238,000 times 4 is about a million miles, right? And then times 100, that's about 100 million miles. So 94.4 million miles from here to the sun. So the second thing I thought about is what what is the sun? You know, it's just it's this gaseous hot mass at the center of our galaxy that is 400 times further away than the moon. And is it gas? Is it, is the inside like lava? What's going on there? Well, during my research, I discovered, and I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know this, that there's a fourth state of matter. We grow up hearing there's three states of matter, and I guess that's true for the Earth, but not for the galaxy or beyond. The three states of matter, gas, solid, liquid. But the gases in the sun are so heated, like the sun's surface is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. You want to guess what it is at the center? 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. Incomprehensible. The sun is incomprehensible in its size, in its gravity, and its temperature. So it creates physical realities that are hard to fathom on Earth. And this fourth state of mass, fourth state of matter is this plasma, superheated matter, so hot that the electrons are ripped away from the atoms. And there's a soup, positive ions and negative electrons in this. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that soup is like. But I'm not sure if we really know because Nuclear physicists try to recreate this on Earth, but the te but the, the temperature and the gravity is so hard to recreate. They try to do it in the synchrotrons, and and nuclear fusion is related to this unbelievable ability of the sun to to release so much energy, such mass, such gravity, such temperatures, and then so hot the electrons ripped away from the atoms creating this soup, which we call plasma, right? So, so again, why don't we know this? Why don't we, the, <laughs> this is the part that's, this is why this is nature and culture, because yeah, the, the nature is, 
is dumbfounding. It, it's amazing. It's incomprehensible. And perhaps it's, it's, perhaps it's scary. And maybe that's, why don't we know this? Why? Yeah, oh, well, they taught it to us in school. Well, they didn't make a big point of it. And I'm a pretty curious person. What, what, how have I taken the sun for granted all these years? <sighs> so we got the ball rolling, all right? We're starting to think about this sun who is, why should we care so much for the sun? The sun, the sun is the center of our lives in some way. The sun is the center of our orbit. The sun is the center of our galaxy, of our home in the universe. If there's no sun, if the sun's gone tomorrow, lights out, baby, it's over. So let's talk about this relationship. And the relationship really, I mean, it can be like we've started here, intellectual, mind expanding, comprehending this relationship, but it can also be very physical. Just like the sun has a very physical relationship with the water it heats up, the plants that have chlorophyll, they've evolved to take the energy from the sun and transform it. For humans, we interact with the sun primarily with our skin. So that's where the relationship really is occurring a lot of the time, sun and our skin. So just as I try to understand the sun more, and what's going on, I try to understand the skin more. So that's where we're going with the rest of this podcast. The sun gives off three wavelengths of ultraviolet light. It also gives off infrared light and visible light, the visible light we see. But the ultraviolet light is the part that damages our skin. Now there's three types of ultraviolet light, ultraviolet A, B, and C, and C does not make it through the atmosphere. So we're talking about ultraviolet A and ultraviolet B. And essentially a suntan is the result of the body's natural defense mechanism against these damaging ultraviolet rays. So this defense mechanism, our body expressing a tan, is based on a pigment called melanin, which is produced by cells in our skin in response to exposure to UV rays. Melanin absorbs the ultraviolet light to shield the cells from further damage. So melanin, our levels of melanin change with our exposure to the sun. That's why we become more tan. But it seems that any tan is a slight damage to our skin and our body reacts by producing more melanin to produce more defense. That's essentially what a tan is. Now, all people have this reaction with a few exceptions. And again, this is one of the biggest differences between people in the world is skin tone. So people who have been in more in sunny, intense places for a longer time have retained a very high level of melanin. Where people who have uh, moved away from the equator, their bodies have lowered their defense because they need to accept more sunlight. So they've evolved to be lighter and lighter skinned. Now the, dar the darkest skinned human would have a, a natural SPF of about 13 which blocks about 75% of the UV. So that's pretty good natural protection. But we'll talk about it that you can still be that dark skin and still be skin cancer, still be skin injured. So there's, you still have to protect yourself or be aware of what time of day, what time of year. 
but still a, a tremendous natural protection, 85%. A person uh, who, who has suffering from uh, albi albinism, albino, um, they would have a, a problem where they have body produces no melanin, so they'd be SPF zero. Maybe a light-skinned person from Northern Europe might be an SPF two or three, some natural defense blocking you know, 15 to 20% perhaps of the UV light. So we have this sun, right? And the sun is beating down on us, but it really matters what angle the sun is at. Like our flashlight experiment, if that sunlight is shining straight down on us, it's more intense than if, if we're in a different part of the world where that sun is at an angle, or if we're a different part of the day. So we're thinking about the angle, and now we're thinking about our skin. Our skin is vulnerable. The, the, over time, this, the UV, can damage our DNA and contribute to skin cancer. So we do not want to be getting severe tans or certainly we don't want to be getting burns. So how do we protect ourselves? What's the answer? Clothing. Clothing is the number one way to protect yourself. Hats and also for our eyes, sunglasses. Clothing, clothing, clothing. We got to start with clothing. And there is a certain type of clothing that is especially good for summer clothing and you can get UV protected clothing but clothing you could take the clothing you already own which already protects you from the sun and you could hold it up to the light and you could see how much light gets through there it's very simple we should be relying more on our own brains we should be looking at the shadow at that stop sign outside of our house we should be thinking ah it is one in the afternoon that shadow is very short, I need to put on clothing that's gonna block my shoulders. I need to wear a hat. I don't, I watch baseball all the time and I see these families sitting at the midday sun, just sitting there in the bleachers, in the brightest midday sun with no hats on and it blows my mind. Hats are extremely, extremely, extremely useful tool here. So clothing. Now, a lot of people, they don't wanna wear a hat, they want to wear a tank top. They want to get tan. So let's talk about sunscreens. Any the take-home point with the sunscreen. Well, there's a few take-home points with the sunscreen here, but the first thing is what does SPF mean? SPF 15 means it basically means a fraction. It's a little bit confusing, but one out of fifteenth is all that's letting through. Okay. So that means it's protecting 93% protection from the harmful UVB rays. Now, it does not protect against UVA unless it's called on your label full spectrum, okay? So that's one thing to think about. Is this a full spectrum? Is it blocking the UVAs? Because it should block both of those, but most of the SPF is oriented. Well, the SPF is, indicates its protection against UVB. Again, we're still learning. Sunscreen only really started in modern times, in the 70s and the 80s. Historically, tribes in intense sunny places have developed some natural sunscreens, but in modern times, sun protection is more of a recent phenomenon. As the sun has grown more intense, uh, related to the ozone layer, but we won't get into that. Maybe people were just wearing more clothes in the sun. They're more practically minded until the last, I don't know, last two generations. It's gone a little crazy. So SPF 15 blocks 93% of UVB. SPF 30, that's like only lets one over 30 amount of UVB in. So that means SPF 30 blocks 97% of 
the harmful UVB rays. So the moral of the story with the SPF is SPF 30 is as high as you need. Anything above that, it's kind of gimmicky. 97% protection is great. Most people can do a better job of spreading it properly and renewing it after a few hours as recommended. I don't use sunscreens unless I'm in a situation where I'm going swimming uh, in the middle of the day, which is unusual. I just make my plans to enjoy the sun and have the sun on my skin. But I really think of the shadow rule. I only learned the shadow rule recently, but intuitively I, 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 I go out after 4 p.m. or before 10 a.m. Again, now we're going to talk a little bit about the skin. I have way too much research for this. This I'm having a tough time here <laughs> keeping all my notes. I, I didn't even mention the UV index. Let me just mention the UV index, the international standard measurement. It's UV index is basically the shadow rule. It's saying it's a linear scale and it goes from, I think it goes, it goes from 0 to 12. It just is like that, telling you, let you know how intense things are. But, but uh, does it really give us any information? The shadow rule doesn't give us, I don't know. I guess if it's slightly cloudy out, some people could think, oh, there's no sun. But again, look at the sky. If the sky is really bright and white, that's the type of cloud that's letting through a lot of brightness. Think of that cloud layer the same way we hold a t-shirt up to the sun to see, is this protecting me from the sun? We just got to be more intuitive. We have to develop a more natural relationship where we're thinking about the sun. We're using our brains. We're not just doing what society tells us. Culture has gotten quite sloppy. I put some references in the notes. In the show notes for this episode, you'll find some You'll find some different references, and one is to the EWG, the Environmental Working Group Sunscreen Warning. I think it's worth a read. And I'm going to give you a few, a few bullet points because I think, again, people are—we're not thinking enough about what we're throwing on our skin. And this goes for eyeliner. This goes for perfume. This goes for deodorant. People think about what they're eating perhaps better than they have a generation ago. I don't know. We're thinking about what we're eating. We're trying to eat healthier. We're trying to buy organics when it makes practical sense. But at the same time, we don't really think about what we're putting on our skins. And I think this is a lack of understanding. Again, just like we didn't, just like I haven't really thought about how massive is the sun? What exactly is going on in the sun? It's the same thing with our skin. We see our skin every day, but do we even know how many entry points there are? How do things enter our bloodstream through the skin? I'm really grateful. This Just thinking about our relationship to the sun got me into so many different places. And I'm just trying to spark your interest to think more about the skin. The skin, the skin, the skin is amazing. But the skin is complex. The skin is a whole world to itself. You have all these hair follicles and you have sweat glands, those are two of the major openings in the skin. But we put on suntan lotion, it, could, it doesn't necessarily go in these passageways. Suntan lotion is either entering through the cells or between the cells on the skin. And the thing is, is the ingredients in sunscreens are making it through the skin and into the bloodstream. So it's really important to look at the ingredients and I think the FDA does a pretty good job with looking at ingredients that go in our foods, but I feel that we have to really do our own homework when we think about what's going on our skin, perfumes, deodorants, etc. 
because when you look into it, you find a lot of questionable, perhaps even disturbing ingredients. I'm going to mention three by name here, and, and these are in the that Environmental Working Group report, which I, I recommend, and I said I have the link. They're all in there. And, they, and again, these are organic UV filters. So organic is not a panacea. There are plenty of organic things that can poison us. So these three I want you to keep an eye out for. Oxybenzone. That's the number one. Oxybenzone. The other two, homosalate and octocrylene. These have been shown to produce endocrine disrupting effects. So they could disrupt our hormone system. Here's a quote from the report. Within the past year, the European Commission has published preliminary opinions on the safety of three organic UV filters, oxybenzone, homosolate, and octocrylene. It found that the levels of two of them were not safe in the amounts at which they were currently used and proposed a concentration limit, yada, yada, yada. Europe's kind of ahead of the curve on this one. They're, look, they're trying to reduce the amount of these ingredients because they're worried about their endocrine disruption let me read a little bit what it says about oxybenzone. The most worrisome, quote, the most worrisome sunscreen active ingredient is oxybenzone. It is readily absorbed through the skin. Researchers found that adolescent boys with higher oxybenzone measurements had significantly lower total testosterone levels. Three other studies reported statistically significant association between oxybenzone exposure during pregnancy and birth outcomes. One reported shorter pregnancy in women carrying male fetuses, you know. So on and on, I'm not going to go through all the details of this, but the hormone effects, the metabolic effects, the thyroid effects on a bunch of these ingredients in standard sunscreen is terribly worrisome. Now, these, these are chemical sunscreens. There are other sunscreens that are considered mineral sunscreens. And these are considered uh, healthy. They're considered rated better by the Environmental Working Group. And those are titanium dioxide and zinc oxide. Or those are more external. Those are mineral sunscreens. So those are not readily absorbed into the skin. So they're considered healthier. However, there are concerns with spray versions. Spray versions of anything is kind of gross because that means you're breathing a lot of it in. So avoid spray and avoid spraying a lot of chemicals around yourself and your children. And consider if you're going to use suntan lotions, let's look into these external ones, these mineral sunscreens, titanium dioxide and zinc oxide. And if we can use less sunscreen, that's good. More clothing, better for us. And if we're going to use sunscreen, look into those ingredients and check out this Environmental Working Group's report on the health and the risks of sunscreens. So we have some thoughts on the skin. Some thoughts on the skin, right? Uh, also, we can think about your eyes. Uh, I want you to also think about reflection. If, if you're on the water, if you're on the beach... They can, that can reflect 15, 20, uh, I saw different numbers, but that, that can really reflect a lot of sun. Here I said one stat, sand reflects 17% of UV radiation. Something else said sand, water, and snow can reflect 25 to 80% of UV rays. Um, so that's another thing to think about is the reflection, where you're going to be during the day in the sun, how is that going to affect you? But again, I'm throwing a lot of information at you, but the main point is think about that relationship to the sun. Think about 
the relationship to our own skin. And then think about the relationship to the skin and the sun. And then the question is, how, how do we get away? How do we get away from sun deities? How do we get away from thinking more about the sun? And, I, and again, we love the sun. Everyone's talking about the weather every day. But I mean, I mean the sun. The sun is the most natural deity we have. And if you look back, you just do a search on even Wikipedia and you just put in nature deities or sun deities. And you see, and I looked up these nature deities, gods of water, gods of thunder, gods of rivers, gods of the forest, gods of animals, gods of wild plants, gods of agriculture. All these gods, all these gods that we, meaning humanity, has had throughout history. And maybe some disrespect, but maybe not too much disrespect to the newer gods. But how did they displace, or why did they displace, these old gods? How did, how did humans stop, just give up on these sun gods? Or maybe these human cultures were just displaced by monotheistic cultures. But look at some of these gods. They're beautiful, and I want to learn more about them. Gods and mythology are very important. World religions is very important. I used to teach this, and I teach world religions. It's like an anthropology course, but it's a course, it's a psychology course, because we are these humans. These humans are us. We're part of the same great chain of human history. And there are still humans who are devoted to sun gods. So this is not a foreign thing. This is us. This is our history. We all had tribal pantheistic nature gods in our history long before we had monotheistic gods. And I think we're kind of maybe moving back to some of this nature-based pantheism. And perhaps nature-based pantheism is... (laughs) is one of the things that may, might save us from total destruction because we don't have that respect for nature. We don't have that respect for the strength of the sun. We're, we're, we're egotistical. We're arrogant. We think humans are the top, but that's our naivety. That's, that's the sickness of our time, and, and we see it on, on so many levels. We see nature getting injured, but that injured nature that injures us because you can't injure nature and not injure ourselves because we're part of nature. So as the environmental movement grows, I, I like to see us kind of re-engaging organically, these deeper appreciations and almost a godlike reverence for the sun. I go on bike rides and say prayers all the times to the god of the rivers and the god of thunder and the god of the forest. Or you don't like the word god, use the word spirit, the great spirit of water, the great spirit of thunder. This is natural for us to think this way, I think. The goddess of fertility. Okay, look at this. Uh, looking up the Aztecs. The Aztecs from, you know, close to where Mexico City is now, lower central Mexico. And the Aztecs have a bunch of natural deities. And I was just, when I was reading through all the list of natural deities, the, they describe what they're the gods of. And a few of these Aztec ones caught my mind. And it gives an insight into the mind and spirit of that culture. Jacopili, Jacopili and Jacoquetzal, okay? Jacopili was the god of art, games, beauty, dance, flowers, maize, like corn, and song. Look at that lineup. I want to bring this, I want to know this god. (laughs) 
It's spelled with X-O, if you remember, but it's pronounced Jacopilli. Jacopilli, the god of art, games, beauty, dance, flowers, maze, and song. I mean, what a lineup. How, how do we not know? I want to know this god. And now, now, the, now the goddess, the female deity, Jacques Quetzal. You ready for this lineup? The goddess of fertility, beauty, female sexual power. Protection of young mothers, of pregnancy, childbirth, vegetation, flowers, and the crafts of women. Ho, ho, ho. What a lineup. Jaca Quetzal, the Aztec god, the goddess of fertility, beauty, female sexual power, protection of young mothers, of pregnancy, childbirth, vegetation, flowers, and the crafts of women. Whew, doesn't that give you insight into culture? Doesn't that give you insight into where we've been as opposed to now? And again, I was raised with the modern gods, but I see myself moving back, uh, moving more broadly, perhaps, yes, connecting to a different part of human cultural history that makes more sense to me intuitively. The Incas also from Central America. The Incas had a a fertility goddess who presided over planting, harvesting, and earthquakes. Pacamama. Pacamama, the fertility goddess of the Incas who presides over planting, harvesting, and earthquakes. And I was looking through and just finding just all these different parts of the world and all their traditional nature-based deities. Thinking about how little we think about our own skin. How little we know about our own sun. And then, importantly, the relationship between this sun and our skin. The relationship between the sun and the plants we will eat. How do we not have a sun deity, a soil deity, and a water deity? This is the, that's the holy trinity as I see it. That's the foundation of life in a natural sense. So... I'm very curious to in, to stimulate these brainstorms with you, and I have to cut it off because this is just becoming a, a massively long podcast. Maybe I'll do a part two and digest and, and and see what else comes with it. But I've been digesting this for weeks. Would please let me know what you think. Drop me a line. I hope this episode left you a little more connected, connected, connected to the spirit of nature, connected to. The gratitude and awareness that, uh, wow, we're lucky. We're lucky that the sun and the water and the soil provided. We're just stewards. We're just working with the ingredients. Well, this has been a real, real journey. I hope it encouraged us to think. Think about nature. Think about nature deities. Think about bringing them back in our own families. And uh, what does that look like? (laughs) I could leave you. I have so much more notes, but I'm going to leave it there for now. It was a real pleasure spending time with you. I appreciate you spending time with me. Stay hydrated. Get the pulse up. Try to relax for a little while before sleep comes. Living and learning. Much love. And also, this was a pretty good episode. So please, do me a favor. If it resonates, send it along to a few people who don't know what we're working on over here in the Weather of the Mind pod. Weather of the Mind school. Your school for building an emotional health game plan. Your school for practical education. Living and learning. Much love. Have a good one. Bye-bye.
Thank you.